Lots occurring uh, this past week when it comes to federal and provincial politics. It was a busy, uh, busy week, especially in Victoria. Joining me now to talk a little bit about the week that was in politics, Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief, joins us now. Hello, Keith. Hey, guys. I don't know where to start. You've got the whole Surrey policing issue. You've got uh, a carbon tax issue, uh, especially with that letter with uh, the Minister Josie Osborne. Let's start there for a moment. Uh, walk me through, uh, in regards to this memo, where I guess Ms. Osborne, the Minister of Energy, sent it to, to herself, uh, but the memo appears to really show or highlight the NDP's growing concern about carbon tax uh, backlash. Yeah, so this is a memo that was composed based on a conversation she had with what she's calling an advisor um, and taking notes from what he was suggesting uh, and then uh, put in an email form and sent an email to herself, then somehow inadvertently dropping the email or printing it off, which was another mistake, uh, and then putting it in her sheath of papers and lost it somewhere in the hallways of the legislature, only to be found or to make its way into the hands of the BC United Party, which revealed it in the uh, legislature. So uh, basically, it's two parts. The first part is about um, quoting uh, that Premier David Eby, or PDE as he's referred to in the memo, is looking for a, quote, big and shiny affordability measure and suggest there's a couple of options. One is returning a portion of the uh, carbon tax back to the people on their monthly hydro bill, so a monthly rebate based on the carbon tax and or a freeze on BC hydro rates. Both have been done by governments in the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, The NDP, actually, this would be the second time if they get a hydro rebate that would offer one. Uh, They famously froze hydro rates back in the 90s. Uh, The Campbell government sort of did a de facto freeze for a couple years. Then the other part of the memo talks about basically they don't have enough electricity being generated right now to power a lot of the projects that are on the drawing board around BC, industrial projects. So it's sort of a twofold. Uh, and basically, and Josie Osborne, the energy minister, to her credit, uh, didn't shy away, faced reporters for a fairly long time in the hallway to answer questions. And rather than refuting this memo, agreed that, in her words, everything's on the table when it comes to things associated with energy costs in BC in regards to the planning for the February budget. So it seems that on the table includes some sort of rebate and or a hydro rate freeze. One or both seem to be coming our way. And that speaks to the broader conversation about carbon tax and that uh, um, people are talking about it and it may be and could potentially be an election issue, perhaps a major election issue come 2024. Well, it's going to be interesting. So the BC United Party and the BC Conservative, who are in a rush to crowd each other off the political dance floor, uh, are embracing the same policies on this issue. Notably, now uh, BC United announcing they would they would get rid of the entire Clean BC program, which is far more than the carbon tax. Carbon tax is a big part of this, but we're talking a whole bunch of rebates, uh, incentives um, to, you know, for capital expansion of green-friendly um, changes to your homes, to, to buildings, uh, right across the board about get, reducing greenhouse gas emissions and becoming more green uh, and clean energy. So BC United, I think, worried that the Conservatives are outflanking them on the right, have now adopted a position that all that's going to get tossed, that they want no part of that, including the carbon tax. And the Conservatives essentially appear to have the same position. Uh, the danger for that position is there's probably a lot of support for incentives and rebates and things like that to improve 
uh, things to go green rather than opposition to them. There is opposition to the carbon tax, but only about a 50-50 split in B.C. Um, so I think it's interesting. Both parties are trying to find a lane to drive in right now, uh, and they both want to share the same lane. And they may have taken a lane that's a little too wide. I think they both, if they just confine themselves to say, we'll get rid of the carbon tax, that would probably be enough <laughs> to attract some support. But now it's going to the point of potentially, I think, alienating some of the younger voters out there. And I don't mean university students. I mean, you look at the top end of millennials. That's the biggest bulge of the population right now. <clears throat> the oldest millennial is 42 years old. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of support for green uh, incentive projects in that age cohort who are genuinely concerned about climate change. And they look, the United Party and the Conservatives run the risk of alienating that significant portion of the population by rejecting everything about uh, going uh, clean energy. It's interesting that when Gordon Campbell introduced the carbon tax, uh, the NDP ran uh, on a campaign to, quote, axe the tax, and now they want to preserve the Clean uh, clean BC program and the carbon tax. And the party that introduced carbon tax now has vowed, at the very least, they want to uh, completely change Clean BC. But as Kevin Falcon in this studio, when I asked him if Pierre Polyev gets rid of carbon tax, he said he's getting rid of it as well. So it's a complete change in just over yep. a, a generation and a half. Isn't that weird? <laughs> no, it is. It is a complete flip flop by both sides. Quite frankly, over time, um, the, the BC Liberals under Gordon Campbell were hailed as innovators and pioneers when it came to fighting climate change because they were the first jurisdiction in North America to put a price on carbon emissions. And they were congratulated for that. And the NDP back then was the ones who were caught out of step with the public. Now you come full circle, and it's the NDP championing measures to fight climate change, and it's the old BC Liberal Party, now called the BC United Party, and this offshoot, if you will, because it's made up of two former members of that party, the BC Conservatives, who embrace the exact opposite position of being super aggressive when it comes to fighting climate change. Now, the former uh, Minister of Environment here in British Columbia, Mary Polak, uh, who was a part of that government in 2008, will be joining me at 4.30 to talk a little bit about some of the decisions you've got to make behind the scenes, balancing uh, the environment and dealing with climate change at the same time, making sure uh, you have a tax base to pay for healthcare and education and some of these programs that are dealing with climate change itself. So she'll be joining me at 4.30. Now, before we go to a break, I just want to get your thoughts on this Surrey policing issue. A campaign, a PR campaign against the NDP uh, is, is going to be beginning very soon uh, in regards to the NDP being blamed uh, for a property tax increase, which hasn't been announced yet. We're expecting one in uh, early December in regards to projected property tax increase for 2024. Uh, you know, strong words from Brenda Locke uh, this week on this show and Mike Farnworth was on this show as well. Where do you see all this going? I see it going with Surrey Police Services. I don't think the court challenges, the court challenge from Brenda Locke and her counsel is going to succeed. I've seen no legal person say that, with legal background, saying that's got a really good chance of succeeding, arguing their constitutional rights have been abrogated by the appointment of an of a administrator instead of the police board. Uh, municipalities don't have a lot of constitutional rights. They, the, the Constitution actually gives the provinces the, the control over municipalities, the right to create them. But... Uh, it's going to remain a political issue, and Brenda Locke is going to understandably um, try to make this an issue going into the next, to last as long as she goes into the next uh, municipal election campaign, presuming she's running for a re-election. She'll run on an issue that she's going to brand a tax that results, no matter how big it is or how small it is, it's going to be an NDP government police tax, is how she's going to describe it. And she's going to hang that around the neck of uh, the government and 
try to frame that as a, an issue to put in front of the voters come the next municipal election. It's probably smart politics on that issue. doesn't necessarily play smart politics when you look at all the other things Surrey's looking for from the provincial government, whether you know, talk things about like transit or, or housing or um, just anything a government is looking to a senior government for. Mm-hmm. It's, the breakdown of the relationship is significant. Um, Mike Farmer says she was a disgrace because she tried to label the Surrey Police Services as an NDP police force, politicizing a police force like that. So it's a seriously bad, broken relationship between the two sides. But neither side is going to back down. Frank Farnworth and the government are not going to back down here. And again, unless she can win in court, it's the the ball rolls towards the Surrey Police Service because the administrator is putting together a budget for the first time. And that's going to be the budget. Even if Surrey Council rejects it, it'll go back to the Director of Police Services who reports to Mike Farnworth. Mm-hmm. And guess which side he's going to side on. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Now, I've been hearing a lot about jurisdictional overreach. The feds don't like what some of the, the regional governments are doing. The provincial government doesn't like what the feds are doing. The municipal governments don't like what the provincial government's doing in regards to rezoning. We'll talk about that next after the break. But we spent a lot of time talking to Brenda Locke and Mike Farnworth this week. This week, uh, So we're going to go out to commercial break, uh, playing some of their comments. Take a listen. We'll be right back. This is a decision forever that will impact our taxpayer. And we just can't believe that the NDP would impose this police tax on our city. It's just a continuation of the delaying tactics that the mayor has been trotting out that involve lawyers and a lot of money that could be better spent elsewhere. The NDP is imposing a significant, probably 20 percent or more, a double-digit tax increase on, on our residents, not just for today, not just for 2024, but forever. The transition continues. It doesn't delay the transition. It doesn't stop us from moving forward. New West has just recently made comments that they have lost already too many of their members to Surrey Police Service. We know that's happened in West Vancouver and other municipal police forces. Where else are they going to get constables? What really needs to happen is for the mayor to understand the decision has been made. It is time to move on. This has never, ever been about... Um, public safety in our city. Just because somebody has a philosophical reason for wanting to see a provincial police, they can do it in another city, not not. Calling it the NDP police, I think it does a disservice to the men and women put their lives on the line every single day policing in Surrey. It's just disrespectful. Jazz, it's going to be in 16-point red on the tax form, and it's going to be the Surrey NDP police tax. It will be bold and loud and proud. I'll be clear again there is no more money. If you're just joining us, we are speaking to Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief. We're talking about the week that was in politics. Now, yesterday, Keith, I spoke to the Federal uh, Housing Minister, Sean Fraser, and one of the questions uh, I had for him was in regards to Ontario uh, Premier Doug Ford uh, complaining about the fact that feds shouldn't be negotiating directly with municipalities. While here in Metro Vancouver, you got city councils not too happy with Victoria rezoning their communities, uh, and of course, the feds not happy with the Metro Vancouver board for charging a developer's uh, development cost charges, even though the feds said we're going to get rid of GST when it comes to building rental housing. So yeah, the feds, the provincial government, the municipal governments, they're all going at each other. My my comment is, can't we just build housing? What do you make of all these announcements, municipally, provincially, federally? Because it still seems we're still going to be very short in regards to building houses. We built about 200,000, 220,000 a year. We need, depending on what study you look at, 500 to 800,000 homes a year. I mean, it seems to me that we're not going to get out of this anytime soon. 
No, and one of the big issues that doesn't get talked about a lot, although it does get mentioned, is someone's got to build the housing. Mm-hmm. Now, we have a critical shortage of skilled workers uh, who are needed on also other projects as well. I mean, there's constant construction in municipalities and cities. Uh, there are cranes, you know, on in the skyline as more things are built, not just housing. But there's only so many trained, skilled workers to build. So that, that's one issue. There's also an issue of a, there's still a disrupted supply chain when it comes to some materials. I'm sitting here looking out my window at a construction project, a legislature um, of a fire escape. It's been now 18 months, I think, to build this because they can't get any steel, enough steel to build this. So um, this is a, a, one of the big challenges other than just the, the huge number that has to be met. In terms of this jurisdictional, I love how Doug Ford calls it jur- jurisdictional creep. Yeah. It's he's complaining about uh, Ottawa doing an end run around his government, and as you say, doing these one-off deals with municipalities. Uh, tr- tried to do it in, in BC. This, as you mentioned, the development charges pushed forward by uh, uh, Metro uh, has caused the feds to think twice. But you've also got the BC government here reaching over the heads of municipalities to uh, to build more housing. I think what you're seeing is. Housing is a hot political issue, and mm-hmm. all levels of government do what they can to seize uh, control of that or at least take some advantage from it. So you've got four or five, four bills in front of the B.C. House, well, some of them have now passed, uh, which is the biggest housing package legislative-wise in B.C. history, uh, which is reflective that that's the dominant political issue. So you see Ottawa wants to get a hold of that as well. If you recall, Justin Trudeau got into a lot of hot water in the summer when he said housing is not the federal responsibility. He was lambasted for that. Since then, Sean Fraser's become the housing minister, and he has a, a sort of a, a different plan. That's why he's being very active in trying to get more housing built with the federal hand involved in it like never before. Um, are we going to see any sort of drop in housing prices, do you think? Or are we, we, that's, just, that's just naive thinking. It's just not going to happen. Even if we start building more supply, everybody talks about supply. Well, the, the reality is the number's not going to drop anytime soon because it, we, we, we're just too late to the game. Well, I don't see. I mean, so it doesn't predict a big drop. I mean, I think there will be, um, just anecdotally, Victoria is a very sought-after neighbor, uh, place to live over where I am, and there's been a little bit of a slowdown in the market. But the, the prices have softened a little bit. But I don't think going from 1.2 million to 1.1 million suddenly makes it affordable for people. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not going back to the days of 250,000 year old single detached family, 250,000 dollars single detached uh, family homes. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, are we going to go? I think the in Metro, the the average price last month was 1.1 million or about 1 million. If it goes to 900,000, is it really more affordable? So in, in real terms, the, the prices aren't going to drop, particularly when we've got so such a high level of immigration. 140 to 150,000 new people, residents coming to BC every year. That puts enormous pressure on housing, on schools, on all services that the public is looking for. And that alone should keep prices high for the foreseeable future. Well, it's going to be interesting. One more week, uh, I guess, left in the legislative session? Yep. One more. Well, it's going to be fun next week, that's for sure. Thank you, Keith. Okay, have a great weekend, everyone.